Welcome to another episode of Attention Plus with Arnabre. This is episode ninety-six. Make sure you also follow Forcepire on Facebook and on Twitter to know about the latest episodes, events, news related to Attention Plus, as well as our other podcasts, Binge On and WhatsApp Geeks. That is facebook.com/slash/forcepirepodcasts and look for Forcepire podcasts on Twitter as well. And uh, in what has been a week of various types of news pouring in, good and in many cases bad aren't we glad that uh, we have your host to distill it in his typical no nonsense way hey arnab hello vikram arnab last week on the podcast you mentioned that uh, ashutosh was your favorite journalist <laughs> he seems to have rewarded it with a bounty of his trademark tweets for you this week you must have had yes. a good time i i had a great time ashutosh has been in great form and i particularly like the fact that he can make so many you know so many delightful to, uh, treats in one tweet so one there is this uh, <laughs> then there is this this uh, sub narrative of different kinds of dal going on with his with his tweet and then he spells saurav as you know saurav tiwari so there is multiple spelling mistakes there is a strange uh, this is this strange number of hashtags with different past tense present tense future tense of dhoni retires dhoni retired dhoni i i i dhoni retiring i have no idea what gets into this gentleman <laughs> and more than if this was one isolated guy then it would be fine but the fact that this person used to head a pretty major the hindi news of a pretty major indian news channel kind of said something about the people who we inherently trust because they're in front of a camera oh, and anyway the way so he, yeah. he threaded those tweets that you pointed out yes yeah so he he obviously like even for those of you who haven't seen it the way we th- he numbers tweet he numbers is 1 1 by 2 1 by 3 1 by 4 i have no idea why he does that does he even understand <laughs> and in any ways there is the afutosh definitely has a problem with numbers because you know his this afutosh 83b as somebody pointed out was possibly his first password except he put it in his id field <laughs> <laughs> quite possible uh, in fact i'm not sure if it's his password <laughs> yes. it might still be his password yes it's still his password is possibly still ashutosh uh, <laughs> in case anybody any allah ke bande wants to try what uh, they did to wakar yunus you are uh, but anyways i yeah it was it was a source of great mirth there is there's nothing much happening in this world nowadays except terrible things and ashutosh provides only that sliver of hope that maybe something good might come out of this or something perhaps even more terrible uh moving on moving on so today we have two big stories to discuss one was uh, of course kamala harris being the first uh indian uh, origin uh indian origin person to be on a presidential ticket ever in us history and this is of course uh, the fact that she is indian is only of concern to us really uh, i don't think that anybody is particularly concerned or particularly cares even though um, when i saw some of the news coverage people said that you know she is the first asian american 
um, you would notice how in in America, South Asian is South Asian or Indian is only brought out when there is a caste system or anything else. Everything else is Asian. If it's good, it's Asian. If it's terrible, it's Indian. So in this case, since it's good, she's of Asian origin. And what I'd, I've written a detailed article in the Free Press Journal on this. So those of you who follow my podcast are encouraged to read it. So what I said in that article was that, you know, for an, uh, for an Indian, you know, as I knew because I grew up, uh, you know, I spent some of my years as a child in the US and Canada. So I kind of know, and roughly in the 80s. So I, I know how it was in those days. Things have changed. I can see my daughter growing up. It's very different now than it used to be in the 80s. So I kind of understand the generation that Kamala Harris grew up in or Bobby Jindal grew up in. And it was a very, very difficult place for, uh, it was a very difficult period of time for anybody who was Indian to grow up in the US because these were totally politically incorrect times and and racism was mainstreamed. I mean, the, the teachers used to make fun of the way you spoke or the way you dressed, forget students. So for anybody who's who grew up in the US as a brown skinned individual from India, and this is as much about brown and black skin as it is about uh, the culture and the upbringing at home and the fact that most Indians, it was a very conservative upbringing. You're not allowed to date. I mean, I, 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 when I came here, I was in grade four. I got double promoted to grade six. My mother wouldn't, you know, let me date anybody. Everybody else was dating or hanging out at the mall. You know, she used to comb my hair in a particular way. She used to put a lot of Vaseline on my cheeks, which made me glisten throughout the day. It, of course, besides the, besides the overt racism, it also made me the butt end of all jokes. As it is, I was like two years younger studying, like I was supposed to be in grade four and I got double promoted to grade six because of the academic standards that I had exhibited. Now, as it is, I was a smaller kid. And in those, in, in grade four and grade six, it's a huge difference when you're that young. So I was subject to incessant bullying and racist abuse in class. Um, I mean, being called a monkey was, was the least of my problems. Uh, and so I understand what uh, Bobby Jindal or what a, what a Kamala Harris had to go through. Now, of course, with respect to the, the problem with growing up Indian is that nobody really wants, I mean, let's split it up into two parties that the U.S. dominates the U.S. If you're, if you're a Republican, and if you want to grow up Republican, which many Indian kids actually want to, because Republican Party kind of aligns with the typical Desi attitude of individualism, high performance. I am performing, hence I deserve more. You're not performing, hence I'm not obliged to give you a part of my income. So the core aspects of Republicanism are appealing to high performing Desis and first generation Indians who have come from India and gone to the US. Most people who went to the US, the first generation were people who were kind of were not believed that they could get a better financial deal working in the US than they would in a socialist India. So most of them were already had, had didn't have a great idea of socialism. They were not the Bernie generation. So for them, there was a natural tendency for uh, the Reagan way of life. 
So the Ronald Reagan way of life was very different from Trumpism, which is essentially much more racist. The, Ronald Reagan's republicanism was more limited government, um, less welfare. So many Indians of that age were attracted to that philosophy, except that they soon came up with the very, very barely concealed racism that forms the core of the Republican Party. That, again, if you want to be somebody in the Republican Party, you have to be Christian. There is, there is, there is no way around that, which is why uh, Bobby Jindal converted and became a Christian. And he had to not only convert and become a Christian, he had to show how Christian he was by engaging in exorcisms and essentially refusing to be acknowledged with his old name. So this was the amount of, I would say, you know, how you had to show that you were beyond your upbringing to gain acceptance in the Republican Party. It was very similar for Nikki Haley, who's again, the, the, the actual name isn't Nikki. And her last name is Randwa. And uh, she, I've forgotten what her first name was, but uh, Punjabi first name. So again, she identified herself as Caucasian uh, on her, I think, voter registration. So these kind of show, you know, how, what kind of cultural programming uh, that Indians who grew up in the U.S. in the 70s and 60s and 80s faced that they had to feel that they had to disavow everything about their upbringing in order to gain acceptance. Now, the number of people who went into the Democratic Party were comparatively less. However, with respect to Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris identifies, and because this is, she identifies, because ultimately the thing is what we identify as. She identifies as black. Um, Even though she was kind of brought up by her Indian mother, as a single parent, she identifies as black. Now, is that a result of her? Is that a genuine feeling or is that something that is a politically strategic move is, of course, open to doubt. I I kind of tend to feel that it is more politically opportune rather than it being a genuine feeling. In general, of course, uh, you know, the Democrat Party is much more accepting of of, of people who are non-white. As a matter of fact, the new Democratic Party wants you know, white men to basically step back and give opportunities for uh, women and people of color. So in that respect, the Democratic Party is a natural place for uh, somebody like Kamala Harris. But Indians are, a, Indians are a special breed, even for the Democratic Party. This is something which I talked about in a previous episode. Because most of the Indian migrants who come from India are not the kind of migrants that Democrats feel should be coming to the U.S. We are not the poor and the huddled masses coming and escaping religious persecution in some country, coming and begging for asylum. Most Indian immigrants here, here that came here were you know, very, very highly qualified people here uh, who were already highly qualified people like uh, Kamala Harris's mother. I mean, she's not a refugee from India. She's a, she's a very, very highly, highly trained uh, medical professional, a medical researcher. So for these people, they cannot even co-opt that narrative. They can't be like Ilhan Omar, for instance. And so, so there is no benefit at all from them for, for this identity to them. This is not an identity that has Indian identity has no political currency whatsoever in any party in the U.S. 
So it is very natural that Kamala Harris is, she, unlike, in her favor, unlike the Bobby Jindals of the world, she has never denied that she is Indian American. I mean, Bobby Jindal tries to deny the fact that he is Indian. He would, he would rather pretend that, that, that he's never been Indian. It's very difficult for him to do that, of course. But uh, with Kamala Harris, it's never been that overt. But whenever this question of her identity is asked, you'll always say that, you know, I have always identified with civil rights. And she always brings the conversation back to uh, black politics in the U.S. Because that's really whom she wants to represent. So ultimately, identity is something that we choose for ourselves. And Kamala Harris has chosen this black identity now. She has chosen it, whether it has come from conviction or whether it has come because that is the more political opportune stance to take. I leave it up to you to decide. So, but uh, the thing, yeah, go on. You don't hold it against her for not highlighting her Indian origin because you're no, saying why, thing no, why would she? No, why would she? It doesn't make any sense for her. I mean, there are two reasons why you would want to do that if it helps you politically right. and it absolutely doesn't. And second is if you feel so. Now, I feel that Kamala Harris's some of her earlier stances where actually she's, I mean, one of the biggest, uh, biggest, I would say, and, and this is might be her Achilles heel, is that her political positions have always been the center of the Democratic Party. She's not a progressive at all. So her signature, her, her signature things that she will be remembered for are like sending an insane number of black people to jail on, on, on marijuana possession charges. Um, and one of the things that she's remembered for is essentially sending letters to the parents of kids whose kids haven't gone to school, threatening the parents with jail time. Apparently, even the kids oh, wow. with jail time, if they didn't go to school. So these, if you just think of it, remind me of this very orthodox, you know, very orthodox Desi thing to do. And there is an interview in which he actually laughs and says, you know, not that, you know, I regret it, but do you know the, the thing that I did? Ha ha ha. I actually threatened to send kids to jail and their parents to jail if they didn't show up to school. Wasn't that a great thing? So that kind of is totally against the progressive. Anything goes, you're allowed to loot a place where the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is. And she has been brought onto the ticket as a SOP to that wing of the party. Um, and it's fairly obvious, given Biden's age and his health, that uh, he's definitely going to definitely going to be a one-term president, which means that Kamala Harris is going to be top billing. I don't think she'll have a competitor if she runs uh, the next election. So there is a pretty direct path for Kamala Harris to become the first woman president of the U.S., so there's a this is a usually this is a much more significant VP pick because of because who's on the top of the ticket, and I think Joe Biden has himself said that he's a caretaker president. So the way he's positioning himself as that it is time for you know white men to stand back. And the only reason why he's standing in this election at all is because America is not ready in in, in order to defeat uh, Donald Trump. You basically need a white man on the ticket on the other end, and that's. That's actually true. So you think she'll be more of a Dick Cheney kind of a VP than, I mean, no, she's, she's behind the wheels. Over. I mean, she's going to take over. It's not a question of, it's not an Amit Shah to Modi or Dick Cheney to George Bush. I mean, there will really won't be any Joe Biden after some time. 
he went totally i mean george bush still was the public face of the republican party he was the guy who went to 911 you know on the rubble of 911 and and you know gave the speech so he it wasn't that it was dick cheney who was doing these public facing things i believe that this will be different this time it will be kamala harris who will be doing the more dramatic things because i just don't think that joe biden has the energy and to to do you know that kind of you know to just rule he's just too old at this point of time and you know kamala harris is very young in for 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 a politician and she's very very dynamic so this is a much more significant vpp which is why i'm spending so much time on this normally who cares for the vice president I and mean, who cares for mike pence really I mean mike pence is a white walker that's what he is he's a side side silently <laughs> and, and, and but but the fact is that she is very significant and then the point that i wanted to make was that you know the comparisons with tulsi gabbard are again this is not a comparison at all tulsi gabbard is somebody who's not an indian who chooses to be hindu and that's why aligns with indian causes this is an identity that she has chosen it's not an identity that she de- that she kind of inherited is not indian so an identity that i i assumed that uh, tulsi was also indian of indian no she's not indian at all there's absolutely nothing indian about her Okay, I I honestly didn't know that. She is Hawaiian American, so she's a Pacific Islander. But she's not Indian. She has absolutely zero Indian, zero Indianness in her. She, it's just that she is Hindu by faith. So this is an identity that she has chosen. She is a very observant Hindu by faith. So that so that that's a big thing. So of course, expecting Kamala Harris to behave like and just look at. and just look at what happened to uh, tulsi gabbard in the democratic party this is what happens if you embrace your hindu slash indian identity first of all people think you're indian and she's not secondly is tulsi gabbard had a tremendous potential in terms of in in terms of the democratic party if she hadn't been quote unquote weird that is she hasn't in clutch to her hindu identity which again bees it may even if the democrats don't say it out aloud a monotheist a, a, a polytheistic religion like hinduism is still something which is strange to them so no matter what they may virtue signal the fact is that anybody who is a hindu is a little strange to them so tulsi gabbard looks strange to them it's not it's because of the religion that she follows there is no doubt in my mind as Okay, and that is one of the reasons that Tulsi Gabbard has absolutely no political future in the Democratic Party. I mean, just think of Tulsi Gabbard in terms of her resume. This is a person who is an Iraq War veteran. Okay, she's Iraq War veteran. She was almost the second in command to Bernie Sanders at one point of time. She quit. She quit her position in the Democratic Party once she accused. and that was later found out to be true that hillary clinton and her friends were essentially rigging the democratic primary this is why hillary clinton never forgave her and went after her and called her a russian asset so she actually kind of stepped away from the position that she had she had a pretty high political influential position she stepped away from the democratic party on a matter of principle how many people in politics do you know that do that 
she is very good as a debater she repeatedly showed that you know put her on a debate and she can just take down anyone she is very good on debate she sticks to her points and of course there are you know some people say you know that she supports asad she anybody has anybody has things that they can be attacked on but she has much more in terms of i would say if you minus the fact that she embraced uh, her hindu roots or not i wouldn't say roots but something which she chose as if not roots per se very opposite in this matter as a matter of fact that's one of the big reasons why i believe that she is now a no one it's not a question that she lost the republican primary i mean the, the, the democratic primary a lot of people did but not the way that she did as a fringe candidate as somebody being attacked by the democrats themselves it's one thing not to vote for one someone there was like how many 20 people running for the democratic president some of them were not like uh, were not like even making 1% she definitely made more than that but none of them were called a russian asset so this is a very different there's a very different perception of tulsi gabbard than there is even for you know fringe presidential candidates who have who have no chance in hell of of getting the of getting the president of getting the presidential ticket but even then nobody i don't think anybody else came out for so much hatred from her own party than tulsi gabbard did for i don't know why it's really nothing that she did now coming back to kamala harris so for kamala for people to expect that kamala harris will be as supportive of indian stance on kashmir as tulsi gabbard is obviously nonsensical the democratic party in general is against india's foreign policy or domestic policy initiatives this has always been the case republicans in general so the very simple rule of thumb uh, for indians in india republicans are good as a ruling party for indians in america democrats are good are better than the republicans a ruling party because the democratic party is more likely to give chances to or more likely to be accepting of indian americans in the political process than the republicans the republicans are very good are very good with indian and india's and their foreign policy and their foreign policy initiatives and their desire for local hegemony as long as they are not in in the us as long as they are outside us they are very supportive of indians and democrats are exactly the other way up so in general and and one of the reasons is because of the support base that the progressives have so with respect to kashmir for instance Uh, the statements done by i'm not even talking about ilhan omar but even the statements that bernie sanders came out with were much more trenchant i mean people have been ceasing me that dawn article about what uh, what kamala harris said about kashmir and actually she didn't say anything if you look at what she said she said something like you know we are watching the situation in kashmir or or something or kashmiris should feel that they are not being watched so this was the most anodyne statement possible from a politician this is like all right what next so obviously she cannot say i support the indian government that nobody in the democratic party can say but this was the least offensive of all the statements made by major uh, democratic candidates who were in the in that progressive zone elizabeth warren made a far far more anti indian government statement than that for for example so again i don't think that her that even this mildness on kashmir is a concomitant of her indian origins i don't think so i think it's a concomitant of her or half or her 
or her basically being a moderate democrat who doesn't want to piss anybody off so it will be interesting to see how her political fortunes goes because she's not a uh, progressive I, i mean she does make progressive noises but i think that's more because of the opportunity because the democratic party knows that unless they can get the progressive wing to show up to the votes this year that they that again trump might win that the thing about trump supporters is no matter what trump does is again as i've said repeatedly it's a salman khan syndrome this no matter what the quality of the movie no matter how many people trump kills because of his incompetence there will be a section of people who will you know brave hail or snow or heat storms to come out and vote for trump that kind of enthusiasm is not a given in the democratic party and that's exactly what happened with hillary clinton there was just it was not that it was not that people voted for trump no most people just stayed home that's the main thing and especially with covid-19 especially with all the controversy around mail in ballots elections this time will be even more difficult it will require a lot more patience a lot more uh, i would say uh, resilience for people to be able to cast their vote this november which which all the more means that the democrats in order to defeat the republicans have to have highly committed highly committed people and the only committed real base of the democrat party isn't the center it's the progressives it's the bernie sanders supporters it's the is the elizabeth warren supporters and kamala harris people consider because of her because of the cheese black that she automatically gets a section of the black vote that because she's a woman she automatically gets a section of the women vote and these are these are vote banks that that is that uh, joe biden cannot get again you have to understand that the reason why joe biden actually is the democratic presidential nominee is because that he had a significant proportion of black voters who voted for him that was the reason and this is a way to solidify that so one of the reasons why bernie lost why warden lost was because they could not make inroads into the black vote despite their extreme progressiveness the fact is that um he, uh, joe biden has had decades of networking with different uh, influence influence groups among african americans in different states so he's been basically running this presidential campaign for the last 30 40 years and there was just no way that uh a uh, uh, pete burijay or uh or uh, uh bernie sanders could make in in road so that's the really the reason why bernie sanders lost and by having kamala harris on the ticket and it's very obvious that kamala harris is is really the actual president at this point of time i think this is a very very good move on the part of the democratic party i think this is the perfect move and you know kamala harris is very good in front of the television she's a very good debater she you know again in front of uh, there's another important thing that trumps the the, the way trump shines is on one on ones with people you know he's a bully and he he's a reality tv star 
so if there's one thing that he understands is he understands the television medium and he understands how it is to go up against someone now the worry is that against biden biden might not come across very well in front of trump i mean biden is this street fighter i'll take you outside and punch you in the face kind of thing but that's not what trump does trump's threats of violence are not direct that's the thing you know some trump is like can somebody punch this guy in the face right trump is a is a rich guy so he doesn't want to get his tie dirty and i don't think he can fight either so he's he's always the he's always the bullabai who walks with like a leopard along with him uh so in, in this kind of i don't think that biden especially with his you know he you know he muffs up interviews he confuses his wife for his sister i don't know if you saw that but he, <laughs> yeah you mentioned it so he's he's not but i mean neither is trump in and the prime of his intellect but i think still between him and biden he will come across better especially if it gets negative trump is very good still um, even half dead he's pretty good with the negatives but he cannot he cannot i mean i think the person you would really dread having to take on stage is a kamala harris Kamala Harris is exactly the kind of person that is Trump's nemesis. He just can't handle somebody like Kamala Harris. Exactly. I, I think they have to, right? I mean, he doesn't have to. No, he doesn't have to. But he will have to answer as the election goes on. There will be attacks on Trump. So usually, what what happens in U.S. presidential elections, and I don't know why it is that way. that the president the presidential candidate is supposed to be above all of this now this obviously all the rules fly away when trump is concerned so the president always takes the presidential route and it's the vice presidential candidate who's called an attack dog now in the case of trump it's the other way around because nobody hears anything from mike pence um and trump is the attack dog i mean if there is one thing which is good at is that now with kamala harris they have that they have that you know attacking power now i don't think joe biden can attack can attack effectively attack trump because joe biden i mean even the 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 thing about trump is trump's language he's very skilled in the this is ironic coming from somebody who sometimes seems to struggle with english but his knowledge of a street fighting lingo is very good Biden uses like the kind of language that grandfathers from the 1950s do he uses words like malarkey and stuff So, how much older is Biden now? Is he significantly older than? No, uh, he's not significantly older. Trump is much more, you know, zinda dil, of course, <laughs> in 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 every shape or form. So he's a much more zinda dil guy. He's like Devanand. So he's like he's like a foul-mouthed, terrible Devanand with none of the sweetness. So, but but Biden, like it shows, if if both those people come and talk, one guy, even though they're pretty much the same age, one guy just sounds much older than the other guy. And that's why you need somebody like Kamala Harris, who's like very cool and with it, and and she can she can talk the language of young people. She's there's one thing about Kamala Harris; she's very very erudite. Okay, which moves me to the second uh, topic for today, which is the retirement of Mahindra Singh Dhoni. Now, this is the point of time where I'm expected to have a very emotional send-off 
of 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 dhoni and the, the the fact is i cannot be disingenuous here dhoni is not a cricketer i feel emotionally attached to i mean definitely not in the way i have was attached to sachin tendulkar or saurav ganguly or azharuddin or wasim akram i'm just i'm not and that's and that's not so much because of dhoni himself but because these players that i just mentioned they they applied their craft at an age where i was in my years of romance and hope you know there's kajol dancing in the rain shahrukh khan arms outstretched mithunda rising from the pyre sachin tendulkar hitting dyson over his head in the dada threading the offside with his cuts precision cuts gilchrist pirouetting on the pull akram swerving left and right and azharuddin my favorite twirling his blade like a samurai Now, these are things that i won't forget ever because they're kind of etched in my mind you know they it's part of my growing up it's like memories of college freshers you know sitting playing a bridge in the green fields of jadavpur university you know discussing gre exams you know hoping that you know, I'll, i'll go to the us and meet sharon stone you know these kinds of dreams they're all part of that irrational youth you know late teens and early 20s so obviously those cricketers the kind of uh, the what i feel for them i don't think i'll feel for any successive any generation of cricketers after that so and i'm absolutely sure that there's a whole generation for whom dhoni represents this that they, he captures their imagination and when they see him they use that same rose tinted glasses that i use when i look at saurav ganguly or sachin tendulkar i cannot be objective about them in 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 any shape or form however while my heart may not ever be belong to dhoni my head definitely does i i definitely appreciate him from an intellectual perspective from an intellectual point i appreciate dhoni as an adult i appreciate him as this really really balanced well rounded almost uh, an idol in that respect in terms of how to handle oneself and how to handle success and that to me as an adult is something that i really consider him inspirational so let me try to explain this so first of all as a cricketer i mean forget the emotional aspect of it you know as a cricketer i never really enjoyed watching dhoni bat you know his batting was just too muscular too to just too much brute force in his in his batting for my liking in the the kind of batting i like is you know my my favorite kind of batting is like to watch mohammad yusuf bat or you know dravid when he's batting you know or, or of course sachin tendulkar and azharuddin and his kind of even when he attacked his attacking shots in you know, his defense was very very he was very bad to look at i mean the only person who i can remember having such an ugly defense was javed miyadar and his attacking shots also had kind of that the subtlety of a gunda breaking windows and even when he was keeping he kind of lacked the you know the delicate grace of a dujon or now riddhiman saha and i i like wicket keepers who are very light on their feet and his glove work wasn't subtle and you know his stumping was very good i think he was a very good very good stumping and he was quick and effective but they didn't have that drama for of let's say what a sadanand vishwanath had and again this i might be biased because i saw sadanand vishwanath at a time when you know i was much more easily impressed by things let's put it that way but where really dhoni is head and shoulders above anybody that i have seen in sport in which i as an adult appreciate i wouldn't have appreciated this if i was in my early 20s by the way 
was that sense of balance that he always had. See, one of the even at the end when his when his capabilities of finishing the game had declined, one thing that you could always trust him to do hundred percent almost right was when to call the third umpire. Now this is something which most people get wrong. They either go on emotion or they don't go on facts. Tony was somebody who instantly. I don't have very rarely seen him making a wrong call on that. You know, sometimes the bowlers will keep asking, and Dhoni will shake his head and say, "No, you're not going to get it." I think there was one time at the very end of a match, he went and you know, Jadeja had asked for something. I think it was an IPL, and he said something. I could see him like say, "Okay, okay, fine, you can go ahead. It's not going to happen, but go ahead." Um, so that that thing that even when he was playing, that awareness. of that sense of balance that ability to balance things i mean that was that was brilliant that's something which i admire as an adult see when to go for the third umpire when to pull out the helicopter sh- shot you know when to run the ball down to third man there's almost a you know i like to say there's almost a clinical and i had written a blog post about this when he when he retired from the uh, from test matches that you know there is there's that fund manager part of him there's almost this clinical you know algorithmic detachment to his decisions it seems that there is like a kind of mathematical model of supreme precision which is running in his head all the time which is kind of like making trades in this market of cricketing risks so i mean think of his think of what we will remember him by you know that the way he could finish games you know it was exasperating and frustrating watching him dead dead bat with the asking rate going to 12 but in his mind unlike other people he knew that the numbers were still not in his favor now this is an immensely difficult thing to do in life we know sometimes that this is not what you should do you shouldn't lose your temper in a meeting you shouldn't roll your eyes in office when somebody says something which you don't agree but you go ahead and do it nonetheless to your detriment okay but so the most natural thing for somebody who is a stroke player is to actually go for it at that point of time and we have seen people like kapil dev who who was the absolute opposite of dhoni he was a far far more talented individual possibly the most talented individual to ever played the game for india however he absolutely had no sense of this risk taking he would hit two sixes and then go to hit the third six when it was not needed he would take the most insane he, of course it was glorious to watch him bat but he would be totally determined by the mood of the moment and it was usually always let's go for it with dhoni that was not the case that that thing about dhoni always was he simulated to me what a well balanced adult should be that at any point of time he would take the optimum decision that would not be guided by emotion so he knew that you know he was flat back he was playing defense at a time when the asking rate was going to 12 he could make out that the crowd was going impatient he's not stupid he knows exactly what he is getting himself into but he knew that that right now with 10 overs left the numbers are not in his favor it's okay for the asking rate to go up to 20 for the last two overs than it is to sustain an eight runs or nine runs or 10 runs in over for eight overs so the main thing was because he knew that right now with eight overs left the bowler is under no pressure all the pressure is on him this deeper he took the chase with with two overs left and let's say with 30 runs to get 
And if the bowler over pitches once and Hodhoni hits it for a six, he knows immediately that even that at that point of time the bowler is under pressure, and he's more likely at that point of time to make another mistake. And after that, he's more likely to make another mistake. So he knows that the deeper he takes the game in, the more the odds will turn in his favor. I've never seen anybody think of a run chase like that before. And much was made of this of Dhoni in later days when he could not finish the game that he once could. He would still try to do that. I I saw a meme that you know contrasted him on left hand side with a six to finish the World Cup 2011. Besides a picture of him in in a, in a more recent game letting a ball go. And for me, of course, that's supposed to make fun of Dhoni, but that I think shows the greatness of Dhoni. See the the older Dhoni, you know, the one that. more advanced in age you know he calculated the odds and he the odds were that he should better off letting that ball go because he has a chronically failing back so if you see that ball is the bowler has thrown the ball wide and at that point of time given the position that dhoni is in order for him to try to hit there the, the odds are he will throw his back out the second is he will possibly not be able to connect and he will throw his back out so it will in any case be a dot ball or he will throw his back out and the ball will hit an edge and it will fly somewhere to third man and he'll get out so he realizes that rather than the rather than taking these three options all of which do not have a great outcome he'll just let the ball go now it takes a very very special person to be able to take that decision at the end of a game that is what i applaud and appreciate about him because that is a unique thing which i have not seen in any other sports person in india and this is why in a previous post i had compared him to a great fund manager because this is what i believe a great fund manager does it is risk management you know because that's how he played his cricket he calculated the odds on the micro and the macro level and then he took cold calculated risk based decisions every time and this is an unique thing it is even more unique thing if you look at the current captain see he's exactly not like this you know he runs around like a 10 year old boy throughout the field as the first time he discovers the joys of adult abuses and of having read read smutty magazines that is the maturity that virat kohli shows compared to him you realize what you are going to miss in terms of dhoni see this is what kohli does not have see that that state of being dhoni but it was not just not that what he was on field that appealed to the adult in me but what he was off field so one thing that i always felt about dhoni was that his career was always something that was an was a means to an end it wasn't his end his main tool was to achieve happiness sport was a way of getting the kind of wealth that he wouldn't otherwise get but that was not in itself the be and end all you have some great cricketers for whom the game itself becomes the beginning and the end but for dhoni it was never that so be it taking time off to go for the and and be part of the military or when he was young partying with movie stars and deepika padukone and everyone and now playing with his daughter you know you will always see this person who at different phases of his life always maintains this balance and this is a balance which many of us adults find very difficult to keep because we blur every day we blur the line between work and happiness and we try we are 
we are preordained to try to find success and happiness within work it's, it's not that dhoni did not enjoy playing cricket or no, he didn't he was like a sadhu he didn't enjoy the trappings of success you know after all one could claim that you know he hung around for at least for two more years than he should have and this is again not something unique to dhoni pretty much most indian greats have have struggled with letting go at a proper time so i think dhoni suffered from that also but the fact is that there was never a time that you felt that dhoni was obsessed by the game like when he left test cricket for instance it was a very calculated decision he took to prolong his career so this is something which for 5 days i cannot keep on doing i'm not particularly great at it either and i don't provide the kind of value to the game nor do i get that amount of happiness by doing this i am a much greater and that's true one day player or a t20 player and i think my value to the game comes more from there and the money too so this this kind of decision making kind of comes across to many people as callousness i've had some former cricketers comment on that that you know dhoni is never dev- devastated when he loses i think kapil dev said that once but he forgot the fact that he's neither very animated when we win either and if there's anybody who's won more games than anybody else in indian cricket it's him because that's because and maybe that's his secret and maybe that's what really the legacy of dhoni is is that by staying aloof in a very in a state in a very bhagavad gita kind of way from the results of what he does that's why he's gotten this kind of results nobody has a more full trophy cabinet than he does because he has never truly been in it in the way for instance virat kohli is he seems he's going to have a heart attack if he doesn't win every time or he's going to throw his back out there seems he's always on the verge of basically losing it dhoni's and and kapil dev was also a bit like that but of course being of a different era he was not that demonstrative but you could see you could see it in his face and that's why i believe that you know kapil dev never really attained as much success i mean he did win a world cup of course but you know or as a cricketer i believe that he should have been he should have been he should have had he should have been considered like imran khan was he was a much better player overall than imran khan he was possibly the best all rounder in, in that age what dhoni has over all these champions is that he's the game for him is never the end in itself it's a means only for attaining that which he considers to be important and that has changed throughout his life as he has become older you know when he was younger there was something some of the more material things that he liked you know the bikes the fast life the actresses then you know he got married then it's kids he also hangs around his daughter so at any point of time it's never been the game has never been the primary thing it has always been a means to achieve something and this is so important i realize myself as i grow older in attaining happiness that it's not the results that you get at work i mean not all of us are dhoni of course none of us are going more and if you're listening to this podcast you're definitely not that rich i'm guessing and you'll definitely not be that famous but that doesn't mean that we can't take that principle and apply it to our lives the conclusion also there are many images of dhoni that all of you will have as he retires from this game and for some it will be that shot into the night sky in 2011 for some it will be that moment to the last over of the t20 world cup final but for me the way i want to remember dhoni is you know him playing with his daughter while his teammates celebrate over winning the ipl i think 
I mean, that's for me is the image of him. He's standing there. There are people, you know, dancing and shouting all around him. And he's totally oblivious of them. He's playing with his daughter because the day is over. He's come back from office. Effectively, the game is over. And there is this one single man who's just there finding his happiness. That is what I shall remember. And thanks a lot for listening. Yeah, and in fact, Dhoni has been a part of this podcast in almost every episode, hasn't he? I mean, our ending signature tone actually has the uh, Dhoni uh, Dhoni six for the World Cup, <laughs> which of course uh, we'll we'll be playing right after this. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, like I put in my tweet, thanks to number seven. And uh, with that, I think we are at the end of today's episode. You know, the part where I guilt trip you into heading over to Patreon.com/slash/GreatBong. to show your appreciation also do check out binjon and whatsapp geeks this week and uh, leave a good review for all these podcasts on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast so until next time take care and uh, over to mr oh,